this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are in the midst of a, well, a string, Jay, I'd, I'd like to say, a string of Patreon reviews. This is a opportunity for us to thank the people who have backed us on the Patreon website. They're getting to pick their, their albums that we promised them. After a year of being a 250 subscriber, pretty cool, huh? It is very cool. It's good to know people stuck around long enough. I think when we set that up, we weren't sure if we would ever get to the end yeah. of a year and have anybody still there. Right. So, like, well, I, I'm if, grateful. If one person makes it, that's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> and now we're looking at January and February of 2018 and thinking, how are we going to get through all those reviews? We're not going to have a single <laughs> week to do a, an interview or a roundtable or have to see what happens but um this week jay we are tackling i don't know why it has happened this year the floodgates have opened this is our third album released in 2000 that we're re- reviewing that has significant importance in terms of its 90s lineage it's the third i yeah. thought it was only the second no it's was the, the third 28 so, days this and 28 what was the days third? and uh, it was another one that I can't remember. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, Scott, do you remember all the episodes we've done this year? Because I cannot remember them. <laughs> uh, let me see. I think it was. No, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So joining us from the same state as Jay, this is a, you know, rarely do we get people. I think Eric Grubbs is the only person that joins us from Texas on the reg. Uh, it's... Uh, Scott Witt, joining us to talk about his Hello. pick. Hello, Scott. Hello, guys. I'm just outside of Houston in, what would you say, Pasadena? Lovely Pasadena, Texas. Is that just west of Houston? It, or? It's southeast. Well, so. you know, we've all seen Urban Cowboy. Mm-hmm. That's where Urban Cowboy takes place in Pasadena, Oh, uh, okay. That's where all the refineries are. Gotcha. I'm sure it's nice and warm down there. And no, actually, we're getting a little bit of a, a chill front. So, okay, relatively gay global. Yeah, <laughs> well, not, I get. Yeah, you're in Ohio, so your chill front and our chill front is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, we had snow on Friday, just or Thursday oh, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. but today it was 57 because that's Ohio. You'll have snow one day, <laughs> and then and it'll be almost 60 within two days. So. Not unusual. Global warming, yay! Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your pick, Scott. What'd you What'd you bring well, to the table I for picked, us? Well, I brought uh, the, the group ship Super Transatlantic, the album Shuttlecock. Um, the reason why, like I said in our my message, originally I was going to choose uh, Ultraphobic by Warrant because when I first started listening to you guys, I forget which one of you guys always mentioned that album. Probably for whatever me. reason. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and ironically, I went back and listened to it, and that's actually not a bad album. But I was like, no, no, no. Um, and the reason why, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago, I forget which album you did, and you said you like albums that weren't 
you know, beholden to grunge, it kind of were away from that. And so that's why I chose this. Okay. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Saigon kick fan. Uh, Jason Beeler is one of those guys where I think we've all got artists that we're fans of that, you know, they could say, look, I'm going to do all songs in, you know, Botswana with a keyboard. You're like, okay, well, here's my 20 bucks, you know? And (laughs) he's one of those guys for me. So. Yeah. And we should tell people who, who are not familiar with super transatlantic because this is not a band that, unless you are intimately familiar with the American Pie soundtrack, yeah. you're probably not going to know about this <laughs> band. The lead singer, too. yeah, Jason Beeler, he was in Saigon Kick, which was a, I, I have a hard time categorizing them other than being a hard rock band, because even though they got kind of shoved into the hair glam yeah. metal scene, that was happening in the late 80s, early 90s. They're really not that close to that, right? They're a bit boring. Yeah, I think Eddie Trunks said it best. They're, they're, them, they're like extreme to where their biggest hit kind of pigeonholed them. And uh, that's what it is. Because you, you, when you guys did the Lizard album, yeah. and it's, you know, it, that, there's a lot of variety on that album. And um, the same thing if you listen to the, the, the album, their self-titled debut and even the, the album After Water, where the um, Jason took over vocals, it's it's very they, there's a lot of diversity in their stuff. So they're not they're not a Poison or Dokken or any of those kind of you know the Sunset Strip bands. I, I think you can make the argument they're almost a early alternative rock band. I mean, yeah, they're not they an are. alternative band, but what the to what was become alternative rock. I mean, they were. They did not like fit bridge. into what was going on um, that well, and so they were definitely yeah a bridge band. So we should give the folks at home an idea of of where this band comes from. So Jason Beeler forms Saigon Kick in '88 with a couple guys. I think Phil Verone, Matt Kramer was the original. Tom Defile was the original bass player. And right. along the way, those guys leave. Kramer leaves in 93, replaced by Pete Dombrowski. And original drummer Phil Verone leaves in 96, replaced by Ricky Sanders. So then Beeler, Dombrowski, and Sanders, who are basically the band at that point, along with Chris Lemon, or, or Mick Lerman, Lerman, on bass guitar, uh, Dombrowski, Sanders, and Beeler form super transatlantic in i guess like 98 or 99 somewhere in that point and then they bring aboard pat badger who is the bass player in extreme and they form this band they get a single on the american pie soundtrack which comes out in 99 and then the full-length album Shuttlecock released in spring of 2000 and it comes out on Universal Records so it's out on a major and then that's it. <laughs> and um yeah. I think pretty quickly, not I don't know how fast it was. Um those guys go off and do other things. It'd be a while before Beeler goes back to Saigon Kick. I don't think he actually went back with Kramer and Phil Verone until like 2012. No. No, he did another album. I, he he's, he's he just kind of owns the name, so he just got a bunch of guys and did did an album. Okay. So, were you able to find out anything in terms of like 
I know they formed this band, but do you know why they formed this band? Was it just a matter of they wanted to do something different away from the Saigon Kick name, or? Yeah, I, you know, after um, I think Jason had, um, I think he really struggled with the um, identity of Saigon Kick because, you know, how like we're saying how you know that Love Is On The Way just really kind of hamstrung that band, and so when um, you know Matt Kramer left or was fired, whichever. And that album, the last album, uh, Water, which is followed the Lizard, was a, it was on Atlantic, and it was it was a lot different. It, one of the, I had some bootleg videos of them at the time, and he wouldn't even play "Lovers on the Way" live. He would actually ask the fans, "You want to hear? You want to hear the hit?" Or they would play uh, "Space Oddity" because they covered that on that album, Water. And um, he he cut his hair short. Um, he he dyed this weird like white triangle on his front, on the hairline. So I think he he really wanted to get away from the trappings of that band. Hmm. Um, and when he when he um, and after that ended, you know, he did another out. He did another Saigon Kick album after that called Devil in the Details, which came out on CMC, um, which was really good. But it's it's very it's very grungy. Um, actually, when you, we did, you guys did the. Uh, 2015, you know, 20 year album things. I wrote in, and that was one of mine. Was Devil of the Details. It's a really good record, but it's very, it's very grungy. Hmm. Um, and then he didn't do anything else. He he and his brother, uh, you know, they they have a management company, or they did, and they were very uh, proactive on the internet before a lot of people were. And um, I think he really got into that. I mean, they managed. Um, they're the most well-known artist is a band called El Nino. They're kind of somewhat well-known metal band, and a bunch of other ones. So Jason, he started doing these songs, and he actually put like most of the album, the songs on this album. Uh, there were demos he had available on his on his website. You could, you know, he had like a list of twenty songs, and you could pick like ten for like fifteen bucks. And they burn a CD and mail it to you. So most of these songs, actually, I, I heard as a demo beforehand, hmm. uh, which was kind of neat. So I, I think he just, you know, he wanted to get away from Saigon Kick, and then he just started doing. Well, just think between the time when he quit Saigon Kick, which was probably like '95, till probably like '98 or so when this comes out, rock had really changed. The grunge had died, the punk pop came had kind of come and gone, and now we're we're starting to see. Um, Pop is really starting to kick in, and, and I think that really kind of influenced him. So, supposedly, uh, the original name for this band was called Flat. Uh, huh. And but it turned out somebody else somebody else had it, and so they had to go with the, the name Transatlantic. The other big rumor about this was they uh, had a contract with another record label when they heard the demos, but when the, the label found out that one of the guys was the guy from Saigon Kick. They pulled the offer, so. Wow, which is which is nice. Yeah. Did you say flat F L A T? Yeah. Are you familiar with the other flat J? No, but I've heard of a band called Flack. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get into this record. Let's talk about Shuttlecock, uh, and uh, the only release from Super Transatlantic came out in two thousand on Universal. Jay, I'm starting with you. Tell I me, knew you'd do that. I, you knew I would. 
Well, I'm particularly <laughs> interested because I know that you like Saigon <clears throat> Kick, and this has a member uh-huh. of Extreme. So, like, this is this is. Uh, if we were on a baseball diamond, this would be a hit right up the middle for you, I would think. <laughs> so, uh, tell me, what yeah. did you think of uh, Super Transatlantic? Well, you could definitely hear it at times the combination of the two sounds. I think the the first track, Shuttlecock, you get like a a different vocal delivery for for Jason Bueller than what you would typically hear in Saigon Kick, which which was interesting. I think uh, it's almost like a a rap kind of delivery. I mean, it's not rapping, but it's like more of a spoken kind of verse and, and you get a bit of a funky kind of feel to some of this stuff, which I think, uh, you know, extreme would dabble in um, themselves. Space dog shuttlecock into galactic super jump, baby. like that you know there's times where it sounds very saigon kick ish like it's got their harmonies and um even some of the the riffs are reminiscent but it also goes in some areas that are different um sometimes even more almost uh fun i guess or pop which i enjoyed quite a bit i, I think i like I like to hear him do that. I think the band always had like a strong harmony component to them and could write hooks. Um, but they also had this, I don't know, kind of a, a harder, darker overtone to them. So it's kind of nice. And some of this record to hear him be able to break out of that a little bit and um, kind of mash those two things together and do something that can be kind of bright, but it's still full and, 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 and heavy. So it, it was hard for me to not um, kind of compare or think about the pieces and parts that are making this record up, though. So I'm curious to hear from you, Tim, as somebody who's not as familiar with either of those two bands, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I only know to- the, the Saigon Kick stuff from when we reviewed it, and I, it hasn't really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so going into this, I was pretty much, you know, going in completely brand new. Um, I got really nervous in the first like 20 seconds of the first song because it starts out with that like bass riff that sounds like it's from a Chili Peppers album. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, God, is this a funk rock record? Is this like, <laughs> like, what is this? And I actually like paused it and I was like, I got to what, what is this? What's going Because I listened to it. <laughs> I listened to it without reading anything first. I just went yeah. to the onto Spotify and looked it up. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, is, what am al- I listening to here? The album and I cover me- doesn't help either. No, and then I was like, "What is this album cover? I can't, I can't open it at work because it's like a little bit. So it's yeah. got women in bikinis on it, and so I'm looking at it. And I'm like, oh, this is connected to Saigon Kick, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna keep going. And then, in terms of the what I liked, I definitely liked 
the overall approach to this record, which was we're going to make a loud but pop-oriented guitar rock record. There's going to be not very much filler. All these songs are pretty tightly constructed. I don't think... Now, there's a few that go just over four minutes, but for the most part, they're in the three to, you know, four, three to four minute range. Guitars sound great, and there's no ballads. In, in I think there's like one sort of slower song, which is Pretty Must Die, which is the only long song on the record at 449, but that's it's not a ballad in any way. It's just a, a bit slower than the rest of the record. But I really, really enjoyed the, I guess sort of straight ahead approach to um, just presenting this as a, as a rock record that, you know, in 2000, this made sense. If you go back and listen to, you know, when we, when we talked about the uh, Marvelous three record, Jay, which is the third 2000 album that we reviewed. Oh, that's right. And you talk about those sort of bands like that Marvelous three record, um, some of the power pop punk stuff that was happening at the time. This mm-hmm. is not that far off. If you, I mean, if you have to yeah. mentally sort of distance yourself from it being the guy from Saigon Kick and just think of what this record sounds like in comparison to those records, mm-hmm. this is kind of like more what I wanted out of those records, which is it's a bit more riff-oriented. It's a bit heavier. It almost reminds me of the, in some ways, of the 2000 cult record Beyond Good and Evil in some parts of it. It's it's heavy. It sounds like they may want, want to drop D on a few of the songs, but it's still oriented around tightly constructed songs with choruses and melodies and good harmonies and stuff. So yeah, that was my take. I I liked overall what they brought to the record. Yeah, I had um I actually had Marvelous Three written down for track four, dumb. Um and that I also he sounds a lot like Billy Corgan at times in that song. And in another song, uh, wait a minute, here super down. And it made me think like, wow, this would have been a killer direction for the smashing pumpkins to take in the early 2000s. <laughs> like it's got this heavy fuzz, that fuzzy guitar and the vocal very much could be a Billy Corgan vocal, but then it gets fairly poppy in the chorus. It's kind of like the big kind of marvelous three, drum thing going on that i mm-hmm. talked about a lot in the last the when we reviewed that record and it's i don't know it's, it's a cool I, I i like that sound a lot i wish more of the record sounded like that but uh yeah it, there's a lot of different there's another song in here uh track three sounds like corn um the the guitar parts in the verse and in the intro um there's a lot of different sounds on the record
<laughs> I hadn't thought of it sounding like corn, but you're. <laughs> it does kind of have that yeah, I vibe. <laughs> Um, so Scott, was this something that you had revisited recently and thought or to, to bring, uh, to us to check out, or was this one that, you know, you had forgotten about and was like, Oh, I want to check this one out again. What was your, how, how no, uh, recently I, I, you listened I, to this? I started, I listened to it again in the past couple of days. No, we're going to do this. Just wanted to make sure whatever, but I still listen to this, uh, somewhat frequently. I, I just really, like I said, I'm just a big Beeler fan. And, um, yeah, I get what you say about the corner cause and he, um, I think he got a little happy in the recording process cause there's a lot of weird sounds mm-hmm. and effects that are kind of pop in and out. Um, I, 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 I don't have the thing in front of me. I don't know if he produced it or not, but, uh, I wouldn't he, be shocked if he did, did, it sounds like his, his kind of signature sound. Yeah. You know, um, some of that stuff's a little distracting. Some of the stuff, some of it works, and some of it you're just like, "That's kind of odd." So, um, yeah, there's a lot of guitar layers on some of these tunes. Um, mm-hmm. It works pretty well, but I wouldn't have mind hearing it just a little bit cleaner um, in terms of that. Like, get to the get to the to the root of what the song's about. Sometimes it's a little. I mean, there there are just like four distinctive guitar parts going on. Um, sometimes I like the effects. There's some really interesting, like guitar sounds that he plays. Like, and when I say plays, I don't mean he just turns it on, but like he actually like kind of writes a part to make the, to fit the effect really well. There's one, it almost sounds like a synth. It might be in, it might be in dumb. It's dumb. It's like lead. Yeah. And it kind of becomes the hook and the chorus. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, I I agree with you. He does. I'm trying to think of a couple other ones where there's a distinctive sort of weird effect. on the riffs and i mean that's you know not surprising because of his background but so many of the sort of guitar oriented these bands of this time of of 2099 2000 2001 the riffs were all very i think like slightly slowed down punk riffs so they were drawing from a different well and i i think this one being a bit more hard rock metal influenced is maybe why I, I sort of keyed on it and liked it a bit more than say listening to like Lit or you know Blink One Eighty Two or something like that that was really big at the time. Didn't mm-hmm. really that stuff didn't really work as well 
for me. Whereas I think because I hear, you know, having a background or or a, a history with, you know, like you guys with, you know, hard rock and, and metal, that this sort of connects with me on like a subconscious level where I can kind of extrapolate out what they're doing from a, I guess, a historical perspective. Jay, was there anything on the record that did not work for you? Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. Uh, there's a lot of moments I like. There's a lot of moments that I think it, um, those two elements that I like, you know, sort of that unique Saigon kick sound, the heaviness, the riffs, and then the the melodic pop elements, uh, that sometimes that can work great, and other times it can be a little generic sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the songs I liked were those where the chorus and the verse really made sense together. I think there's a lot of other tracks in here where I struggle with like the, I love the chorus or I love the pre-chorus or I love the verse, but I don't love them together. Um, some of them take pretty dramatic shifts. Like you have no idea the first couple of times you listen to the record, um, where they're going. Uh, you have no idea like what the course is going to be when it happens. It's a complete surprise. Like not, not at all what you thought, even in like, you know, shifting between minor and major, like major, minor and major shifts, which is can be interesting. And I, I like it in theory, but um, I just felt like some of the tunes weren't 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 um, cohesive, I guess. Uh, so that was my biggest complaint. Um, just the ones I really liked were, I think, the songs that were um, just more consistent from verse to chorus. Scott, was there anything in going back to this maybe didn't work for you as well as, you know, maybe years ago or things that you've sort of soured on in that time? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, you guys will mention this a lot of times with various releases. Um, you probably could stand to chop off a couple of songs on this. It, it seems, you know, I, just, I was listening to it this afternoon and um, I remember thinking this when I first heard it. I, I If you listen to the album all, like, all the way through, uh, towards the end of the album, you're like, wait, didn't they use that riff already? Yeah. Um, and so, so I was like, that's odd, but you know, that, and, uh, you know, there's sometimes, uh, where Jason's voice doesn't work on a couple tracks. And I'm thinking if somebody else had the song, like I was listening, like, uh, like satellite, give that to like another, another band. And that, I think that could have been a, like a big, big hit for somebody with the right band. Um, there's actually several songs on this album where I don't know if Universal should have gone, you know what, guys, we're going to take this song and we're going to give it to this so-and-so and we're going to take this song and give it to so-and-so because there's a couple songs here that should have just been, that could have been really popular. Yeah. With other bands, I think. Yeah, I could t- I could totally hear another band doing that song. Yeah. 
You're right. I mean, in, in his voice, I did like hear him sing in different ways. I don't know. I feel like in mm-hmm. Sunny and Kick, he sort of had his, you know, his sound and the notes that they sang and the melodies they did or harmonies they did were, you know, pretty consistent from record to record. Even when he took over all the vocal duties, you you could barely tell the difference, at least to me, to my ears. Um, but but here he does some stuff that's pretty different. I mean, to the point where it doesn't sound like him. But I agree, he's not he's not always able to really deliver the song as well as it probably can be or should be delivered. I think that's a good example of one where, yeah, you could have given that to a lot of like punk pop bands at that time. Yeah, and it might have. Been I, I, I heard that I like something with an English accent. That was that would have been right there. Yeah, for whatever reason, I don't know why I thought about that. I was like, oh man, so, that one. And high is another one. I think could have been. What do you guys think of the cover? I think it's funny. <laughs> oh, the, I'm sorry. I you, I'm looking at the album cover. That's why I thought you meant. No, no, no. I mean the cover <laughs> of the police oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, of the police uh, song. Can't stand losing you. Is that I, necessary? I think it's all right. No, probably not. I, I I thought it was well done. I, I will say though, I think you hit on this, Scott. The, the the by the end of the record, I felt like after seven hours, which is track ten, but the last yeah. three songs, it became clear to me that like, hmm, were these Saigon Kick demos? And then oh, there's yeah. a cover thrown on the end. It sort of felt like uh, now they were trying to fill the record out with like just more material. Um, I think they, if they would have ended at track ten, it probably would have gone out a lot stronger. Yeah, yeah. If, um, you know, like you, we were talking before, it's it's a, it was a CD age, and so you had to have at least you know twelve or thirteen tracks. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a handful of songs in here where you're like, okay, this is a unique sound, you know, that con- that really warrants having a di- a new band, right, with a new name and new members, and it's a distinct, it's a distinctly different sound than. Uh, so I got kick and then there's some material particularly towards the end of the record where it starts to just sound like well this could have just been a Saigon kick song so <laughs> not really sure it's kind of yeah I think maybe you just tack this on or now the two are starting to get blurred I'm I'm looking here uh, at my uh, iTunes thing and um, the last Saigon kick album was called Bastards and that came out in 99 mm-hmm. so um, that there's a couple of these tracks might have been actually left over and they used it to, to fill out or he thought he maybe he changed it enough to where it warranted being on, you know, the super transatlantic album. So, so just to, I take it. You didn't like the uh, cover Tim. I just didn't think it was, had a point. I, I think if it had been a hidden track or, you know, make that a B side or, or something that yeah. unrelated to the record, but I agree that I, I think if this was ten songs, this would be a pretty great record. It just does have a little bit too much on the on the back end that's repetitive and and not as strong as the first half of the record. That... Well, I think that's that that song though could could have represented kind of an inspiration for what the band sound is is best at right like uh that mix of like the heavy riff and the verse with the reggae kind of feel i, I could kind of see the and with the melodic you know the, the melody on top i could see that being a model for some of the material on this record in the maybe not the reggae part but like the funk tendencies um or, or those kind of groove feels um 
but it gets muddy to me. So I'm with you. By the time you get to the end of the record, you're like, well, what is this doing on here? But I could see like coming up with an edit of this record that's a little bit sharper around that sound. And then that cover would kind of fit in better with those tunes and make more sense, I think. Yeah. Well, on, on uh, that album, Bastards, he actually covered um, Big Shot by Billy Joel. Really? Yeah. It's actually good. Well, uh, no. I've been in a band that covered Big Shot by Billy Joel, so no. <laughs> I uh, I can I can attest it's a fun song to play. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The I, I don't know I, I you know like Big Shot in this song I I, I like the idea of we're going to take kind of a, a not obvious cover, um, but it, it's it, you know it's it's an all right cover. It's 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 like a cover of like oh you heard that in a band in, in a bar you're like oh okay that's kind of nice. Yeah, they didn't put enough stink on it to make it worth you know worthwhile. I guess. Let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, I'm going to start because I always put it on you to start. So I'm going to yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is a worthy record. I think it's a interesting record i think it's a fun record in terms of it being just kind of a straight up rock record you mentioned it there's a lot of different sort of takes um when you're listening to it there's stuff that's a bit heavier and then things that are much poppier like we mentioned with high and satellite that if they had been in other bands hands they might have been singles um, but I think this is a cool record. I think it should be at about 10 songs. Maybe 9, 10 would be like ideal. There's just a few extra tracks that could have ended up on a, you know, B-sides or an EP separate from this. Um, and I would lose the single just or the, the cover of Can't Stand Losing You just because I don't think it fits. I think it sonically fits in with the rest of the record. I don't really love it as a choice, as a just a song, particular song choice for this record. So... Um, I'm making it a worthy album. Jay, what say you? Oh, I'm right on the edge. There's nothing on this record I, I dislike. Like I said, I think the the moments where uh, I think it doesn't work, it just feels a little bland. But I think it's um, overall unique enough uh, to to keep it interesting for most folks. So I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a full record. I would take it down. Easily to ten tracks though, um, and maybe maybe even nine, and I think it'd be a, a lot stronger. Scott, I'm going to assume since you suggested this record that you concur that this is a worthy album. I hope you didn't send us one yeah, that you thought yeah. was a decent single. I was really I was actually worried because um, <laughs> one of my favorite albums is Earth versus the Wild Hearts, and you guys like savage that album. <laughs> <laughs> You, so much i had to stop listening to the episode like halfway in. i'm like i can't take it anymore I oh it. no way yeah i love that album and you guys are going all in i'm like oh my god so. we got we got the knives out for that for that one yeah oh yeah big time big time <laughs> that, that and then like a month later you gave like uh like therapy or somebody uh like a really good review I'm like oh my god so <laughs> <laughs> did you think we lost it like these guys are idiots uh, I'm like, what the hell? They got the albums backwards. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, it is like we, we've been talking about. It, it, you know, if you would have chopped off a couple albums, couple songs, um, I think it would have been just a, a real tight thing, a real tight, real tight listen. You know, the Can't Stand Living You. It almost sounds that almost sounds like um, 
you know, somebody was, li- you know, was listening to that song came on the radio on the way to the studio and went, Hey, why don't we cover that song? I'm like, okay. You know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, if, what was the, um, which song was on the American Pie 2 soundtrack? Was it uh, Superstar? Super Down. Super Down. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm dumbfounded this album. It, it didn't get a hint of traction, attraction in anywhere. No, it was. I, I actually watched the movie just to see where the song would pop up, and it never popped up. And um, and that that movie was really popular, and I thought they would just catch some. They would catch you know just a, a couple waves from it, and uh, just nothing. I don't know if there was a you know turnover at the record label or somebody. You know, so they weren't the favorite anymore. Or I don't know. You know Bob signed them, then Bob got fired, and um, right. Things. Well, I, I do know that if you go to Spotify and you look at their most popular tracks, Super Down has mm-hmm. over twenty two thousand hits, and their everything else is at a thousand or less. So people have definitely yeah. found that song, whether it's through American Pie or, or something else. Um, you know, it's got twenty two thousand more, or twenty two times the the number of hits as any other song on the record. So, um, I guess people are are finding it. Can't stand losing you is the second most listened to song on the record. Yeah. So, just to That's prove my point. Yeah. People listen to a cover. That's, exactly. why they, that's why they do covers. Yeah. yeah. Well, Scott, thank you for not only uh, you, bringing guys. this record to us, but also joining us and, and supporting the podcast. We greatly appreciate well, it. Well, when you guys did that Patreon thing, and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Just if people that are listening, just think you're just putting your, your whatever, you want to you know get an album reviewed. You're basically just putting on lay, layaway. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You're, you're basically putting your view, review on layaway, and then you get to you know, you know, uh, write stuff ahead of time. So what the yeah, hell? you get a whole year to prep, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and decide what you're going to pick. Exactly. That way, you can be like me and like listen. Oh my god, I can't believe they tore that album apart. So because <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, the, the Wild Hearts album that was actually going to be one of the albums I, I, I was going to send in. I, I, and I knew when we do that, we did that record. I was like, "Oh boy, this is gonna." I, I gotta, I gotta be honest, but I know that there are, you know, I, I'm pretty aware of a lot of uh, very passionate um, fans. Yeah, of that they band. got a following. So. <laughs> and, Jay- I, and I like him and some of his stuff, but I just, I don't know why it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I could tell. Jay's, <laughs> Jay's like the honey badger. He don't he don't give no shits. He's just uh, yeah. he will wreck your record if he feels like it. So that's <laughs> the way it goes. About it. You do. Hey, if you're gonna do it, just make sure you have uh, some points to make. And there you go. Well, um, like the uh, like uh, in um, uh, almost famous what uh, Seymour Hoffman tells that kid. You know when you know by writing view just be unmerciful. So that's yeah. what you got to do. It's true. And uh, I want to remind everybody, you can put your reviews on Layaway by joining us over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Buck a month, you get backstage access to our podcast. You get uh, bonus content. You get previews of upcoming episodes. And the comments that you make 
are uh, included on the episodes when I remember to uh, go back to the page and pull them. I don't think anybody commented on this episode that I can recall, so I think Ugh. I'm okay. And then the 250 level, you get a review after 12 months of subscribing. And I want to thank everybody who has joined us this year. It has uh, really taken off this year in a way that uh, I haven't expected. So we're looking forward to a lot of reviews coming up. And also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. If you want to follow Scott, he's on Twitter, GreatScottTX. That's where you find him. What do you like to talk about on Twitter, Scott? Um, I ramble about music, and um, since it's baseball season, I'll be talking about the Astros incessantly. So, can we reminisce about Craig Bagwell and uh, or Craig <laughs> oh, Bagwell? Yeah, yeah. Jeff Christ, Bagwell. Man. Craig Bagwell. <laughs> who yeah, I think Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio. Jeff Bagwell, and who was the other? I was combining two people there. Yeah, Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio. Yeah. yeah, I haven't thought Craig about Bamba. baseball. I haven't thought about yeah. baseball seriously in 15 years. That's why my mind merged those people together. Uh, well, they are joined. This is him. There we go. <laughs> and, and by the way, thanks for picking a record that's uh, that's on Spotify and on Apple Music. And oh yes, <laughs> the last couple I we've actually gotten. Looked, I looked beforehand. I looked beforehand. So thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Not that everybody has to do that, but it does make our jobs much easier because some of these records are simply impossible to find for sale. Well, well more importantly, it means that if somebody's, uh, you know, is is their interest is peaked by a review of it, they can actually go listen to it. I feel bad when we right. uh, we re- review a lot of records that you just can't even get. You know, we're we're getting them because the person who wants us to review them like owned the CD, ripped it and send it to us and it's like the only way you can find it so it's it's nice to get a couple in here that are on streaming services yeah not a prerequisite but it does help for jay and scott thanks everybody for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. I can't, I can't.